We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Chris Ranji, former White Sox pre- and post-game host, turned 101 ESPN host in St. Louis. The White Sox lose their 130th game of the season. They are 54 and 76. One of the most <laughs> condescending personalities you'll ever meet. I've been a Sox fan for 50 years. I don't I care. Can... The definition of a radio tough guy. You're a Sox fan. No, no, no. Jim, explain most to me Sox how. Sox fans are morons. All right, go to hell. <laughs> go away. It's Chris Ranji with Matt Spiegel on Hit and Run. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's called a guy to go to hell. <laughs> it's always amazing, uh, Chris Ranji, when you're faced with what perhaps unwillingly is your radio legacy. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's that's fine. <laughs> what, whatever, man. Whatever. Go to hell. And just, I love the random mention you know, of a brutal record for the White Sox late in the year as you slogged your way through another post game. And you're like, yep, they just lost their 79th game or whatever the hell that was. Uh, you know, that's uh, I got to tell you. Hey, when, 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 you're, when you're working with a team, like, okay, so... <laughs> so here's the thing, man. Yeah. You got to... Uh, I mean, there was a, it was a disappointing franchise for a while for a long time yeah yeah, yeah. And, and, were, I, and i guess still kind of is for a lot of people i'm sure this year they're not really happy well you know there's some things to be happy about obviously but uh yeah there was that period where they were trying to win and they lost a lot mm-hmm. that's not good well and okay. then and then now here they're not trying to win yes and they're still losing a lot and well, that's easier to take didn't everybody kind of think this was going to be the year that things started to really look good Look right, because I remember thinking when they started this yes. rebuild, it was going to be all right. Twenty nineteen, that's the year. Nineteen is the year. Nineteen was the dream. Uh, I, I think twenty twenty well, a little more realistic, but nineteen surprise contention yes. conceivable and that's for twenty nineteen. Not happening. Well, and you know, Dane Dunning got Tommy John. Michael Kopech yeah. got Tommy John. Carlos Rodon might be headed for Tommy John. Um, so those are and, oh, Lucas Giolito. Bad, Renato Lopez, up and down, Carson Fulmer, disaster. So they have the worst rotation in baseball by a wide, wide margin. Isn't their ERA like over six? 6.82. The and that's 30th. 29th is 5.65. They are they're an inning. Oh my god. They're like one point three. Uh, uh, 1.3 runs behind the other worst ERA in baseball for starters. So I, thinking back on my White Sox days, long time. Okay? How, how many years for pre and post? Ten like years, an, an even ten. Okay, and and I enjoyed it. Like I, re- I really did. I liked that job, and there are a lot of things about it I still do miss. And even in the contentious moments, you know, a lot of those seasons, there was a good year in 06. They missed the playoffs, but somehow that was still contentious. A team that won 90 games misses the playoffs. And there was a lot of mm-hmm. a, a lot of ill feelings, I think, that year. 2008, they go to the playoffs. So that was pretty fun. 
Um, oh yeah, you get you get you get the one gamer and you get Tommy and and, right? and the Griffey throw, that, which was and Danks, my favorite baseball game I've ever been to. That's beautiful. Yeah. So I mean, I got that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a lot of and I, and I I guess I get it, but it, it, <laughs> at the time it was like I really I really did think and I and I still believe this. The Sox were trying to win during that time period. Oh, yeah, I think, no, a, lot, they definitely I think were. a lot of people don't believe they were or they thought they should have started the rebuild earlier. I don't know if I agree with that. I I do understand winning a World Series and then thinking, "Okay, let's build on this. Let, let's see if we can keep this going because you don't know how long this window is going to last." Yeah, I think the Ventura years were a disaster. Yeah, it was uh, tough. I mean, 2012 is the one where they were right there for 5 months and then fell apart in September. Right. 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 Um, And and then after that, it was just there were horrific seasons. I still don't really know if Robin ever wanted to be a baseball manager. You know, I don't really think he did. He was kind of a a loyalty thing and said yes and was here. And it was just awkward the entire time. And the best thing ever about Ventura is that he wasn't Ozzy. That was his strength at the beginning. And that remained the best thing you ever learned about him as a baseball manager. The the reason I disagree with that is because I don't think baseball manager in the big leagues is a job you take if you don't want it. Because that is a... That is a hell of a job. Everything is your fault, and it's every day. They had it's to talk every him day, into it. all day. They had to beg him at the beginning, and then they had to talk well, him did. into the extension, too. Well, they did say to him, you know, do, I, well, I think sometimes it happens that you're approached about a job, and you may not have been thinking you want that job. And then you get approached, and yeah. you're like, you know what? Maybe that does sound good. Yeah. Because I think well, you, you don't have to. If you're Robin Ventura, you don't have to do anything. You can live in California and be comfortable you're, and you're, just You're a whatever. made guy. You're a made guy. You're a right. tremendous ball player. Okay, well, aside from wanting to. Yeah. I don't think we ever learned what his strength was as a manager, other yeah. than not being Ozzie Gian, uh, being an even-tempered guy who could work with everybody. I think that was his strength, if you want it. it for me, I think the most important thing, a man, and we can have this debate over and over again. I know I've had it oh, with we, yeah, a we, million we've, we've people. Had it too, yeah. I think the single most important job of a baseball manager is to make your clubhouse happy. Just make, make your guys happy. Make them comfortable. they got to be in there all day, all night, yeah. all the time, every single day. So just make sure guys are happy. And evidence of that is is the Cardinals situation. Yeah, Mike Schultz, I want you to tell people the difference um, in the way that the players have responded between Mike Matheny and Mike Schultz. Well, first of all, Matheny's a red ass, okay? And everybody knows that. And he does not like, he doesn't seem to like being challenged. Mike Schilt doesn't at this point, and it's still fairly new to him. So he's been there for a little bit more than half a season now. It doesn't seem to bother him when people ask him questions about things. And he does have a really good line of communication open with his players, which I think is important. I think every manager says, I have an open door. Right. I have an open door policy. But so many of them don't for a variety of reasons. That's or, absolutely true. Or players don't feel like they can go in. Well, that's, be- that's what I mean. Yeah, just because you say you're an open door guy doesn't right. mean that you feel like I don't want to go talk to him. Right, and it might be because, A, they're actually a little bit conflict-averse, right? Yeah, or B, absolutely. Or, or, B, they're like, you know, screw you, it's my way or the highway. Or, C, they check out, you know? Where, like yep. Terry Francona, towards the end of the run in Boston, that manager's door was closed, so guys didn't go in and talk to him, and, right. and problems festered. You could argue that these past couple of years, Joe Madden has needed to be a little more available and a little more connected, and now he is 
um, by force, perhaps, but but also by his own grabbing of, of the opportunity. But yeah, guys will say uh, we can talk about anything, but that's not always true. No, I mean, it's you have to say that. What manager ever gets up publicly and says, eh, close door, knock on it, sign the, <laughs> there's a sign-up sheet outside. <laughs> 10:30 a.m. is open. You want to yeah. you want to block off 15 minutes. I'm good. I, I'm going to need a uh, an application if you want to spend some time <laughs> with just, me. Going to need that in triplicate, and I'll decide which ones actually are worth it and not. Nobody see you have to say that, and I do think that's the difference in what's going on now. Well, and, 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 and today's players need even more than ever, just like today's employees need to feel like they are being heard. Yeah, which which is okay. That's that's good. Yes. In fact, because I I think if everybody feels like they're part of the same thing then everybody's going to perform better. And there is such a thing as bad comfortable where you are too comfortable. That's complacency. So you have to find as a manager a balance between Mm -hmm. comfort and complacency. But, you know, make sure it's more of a uh, sometimes discomfort is good. Like in a if if you're if you're heading down the path of losing or and and that becomes acceptable, like, hey, we're losing and this is fine. Or sometimes not a good thing. Sometimes discomfort can be. How you roll, like if that's like Ozzy Gian, when you would walk through those locker rooms, yeah, and Ozzy was the cock of the walk, yeah. right? Like yeah. ju- just walking with the chest out, like who wants a piece of me? Who wants a piece of me? Just looking around at anybody, right? <laughs> like I loved it. I don't know if players so, so, at the end. <laughs> I don't think players at the end necessarily loved yeah. it, but I think they loved it for a while. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, I mean, that's so that, and it was honest. It was real. It was just Ozzy. It was <laughs> macho and just like this vibe. And people were like, "Well, I'll be tougher than him." No, I'll be tougher than him. All right, well then I got it. Like, and it worked. Yeah, one of my favorite moments with Ozzy Gian was in 2006. So they had given Brian Anderson the starting center field job. He was a magnificent fielder, couldn't hit, right? And was striking out all the time. Had other predilections we won't discuss. You know what? Big league ball player, man. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? That's what I would do, probably. You know, if I were a big league ball player, I would find myself out of the league in a hurry because of that. I'm not but kidding you. I'd be like that. It was more the specific, uh, <laughs> the specific type that Brian yeah. found his way oh, yeah. to. That would know? be my type too. I think. I, really? Yeah. No, I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> uh, interesting. But uh, I know some of his type, and uh, so he was striking out a ton, and and you know they've got their. I thought he was a big league ball player. Supposed to close those. Uh, well, go ahead. He, no, he 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 hit a lot of home runs then. Okay. You now after the game, but anyway. So he's so he's got his locker. Anderson's got his locker, and you know everybody has nice, comfy office chairs in their locker. Mm-hmm. And and it's before the game. Ozzy's sitting in his. He's sitting in Brian Anderson's chair, eating a bowl of cereal because I don't know where where Anderson was. I think he was in the back doing maintenance or whatever. And he comes out from the back, and he's walking toward his locker. And Ozzy, everything Ozzy did was so everybody could hear it. You know, right, right. Which I loved. I thought it was great. He goes, hey, how come when you strike out, you don't run back to the dugout so they have time to boo you? <laughs> I was like, jeez, good God. Guy's struggling and you're making fun of his strikeouts in front of everybody. But so we could all hear it. It was it was awesome. See, that that's him, though. And he wants you to show the yeah. toughness that you can deal with it. Yeah. It's like when Beckham came up. Right? Yeah. He's like, Bacon, you know, he's calling him Bacon and kind of ripping him down, trying to knock him down. I don't think it necessarily worked for Gordon, but. That, well, it's, Gordon is such a weird, he's an interesting personality because. He he, he really is. Because he told me that he needed to be told he wasn't good enough. 
because that's what motivated him. But it also seemed like that didn't work for him. I, I mean, he said that to me multiple times. And, and I, I, oh, that's interesting. Yes, and, but it doesn't seem like that works for him. But maybe he thought that was going to work for him? Because this was when he got drafted as high as he did, yeah. so number eight overall. That was leading up to it, that, that senior season. I think it was a senior season for him in college. And he said that that was the first time everybody was like, oh, you're great, you're going to be great, mm-hmm. you're really going to do well. Mm-hmm. But he said every time leading up to that, it was – you're too small, you're not good enough, you'll never make it. And he didn't, he said to me that yeah. he didn't really know how to handle being the man, you know, like yeah. like everybody expected everything out of you. Well, let's add that information to what I experienced in interviewing him every week with Mac for about a year and a half yeah. until we had to punt on it, was that when you would ask Beckham why he was struggling, he would say, I just got to get back to being myself. And I got to, and he would talk about sort of, those kind of feelings, again, of mm-hmm. like, is it confidence? How do I feel about myself? I, do I do? And it wasn't very analytical at all. Right. It just wasn't. He wasn't a guy who found the Conurco path of dissecting every little thing you do mechanically and yeah. figuring out how to be better. That was not Beckham. Very the last few, thing we worry about is Bacon. <laughs> very few guys can do that. That's because if, if, if most people do what Paul Conurco did— you're you're crazy. domed up. I mean, yeah, you're you're domed up in a week. Just just constant analysis over and over and over again. Watching yeah. tape, getting feedback. It just I think a lot of a lot of players have to just go. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's there's preparation, but if you if most people did what Conurco did, you'd be out of the league in a minute. You know what's interesting is that so Conurco was was this hardcore studier and dissector of every little thing that he did and I, I loved hearing him talk about that stuff. Very thoughtful when he would when you would finally get him to talk about hitting. Unbelievable. Oh, detail yep. and and I remember one time and I forgot who he did it to. It might have been somebody on this station and or no, it was Chuck Garfine had asked a question about I something about hitting specific and he gave this answer of and he didn't mean to be flippant about it, but he said, he's like, you know, if, if I told you, you wouldn't understand, okay? And then after about 10 minutes or 15 minutes, he came back by and goes, listen, I didn't mean it like that. I, yeah. Here's what's going on with me, and here's what I'm doing. But he was, what he was trying to say is, if I get too technical, it's going to go over your head. And I, I don't think most hitters can even... <laughs> can even do anything remotely close to that. Conurco came up the other day um, as I was talking with uh, with Bernsey and with Connor McKnight over at Wrigley because Chris Bryant is facing a little adversity as a hitter based on last year and the early stages this year for the first time in his in his life to this level. Right, like he. He got hurt, and then he came back, and he switched up his mechanics to try and compensate for being hurt, and then he got hurt again, and then he switched it up more, and he like started to let that hand fall off, which was somebody else's idea, but he thought he should do it. Then he spent an offseason trying to find it, just go back to being himself, and he felt like he did, and then he started horrifically, and he went into a shell that I think he's still in a little bit right now, where and, and some of his quotes were like, Man, you think this game is going to get easier as you get older, mm-hmm. but it doesn't. You think there's going to be m- less pressure as you get older, but that's not the case. And 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 Bryant is, you know, so it's so freaking hard. And being good still means you're so bad at more than half the time. 
that that it just it messes with you and f- you have to find a strength and however you think about it whether you're a dissector like Canerco and Bryant is that way so he's got to find that or whether you're just a feel guy like Beckham you have to find that strength and it's tough man if you ever need evidence that the mind is is maybe the most important part of baseball Chris Bryant is an excellent example of that because that dude's got all the freaking talent in the world and baseball is just not one of those sports where you can try harder and it's better. You know, in football, hockey, you try harder, you're probably going to play better. You can't necessarily do that in baseball. You can prepare all yeah. you want, but sometimes even that, you prepare too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it gets in your head. <laughs> and then, and seriously, know, and then, it, then it's, it's in your head and then you're finished. I want to quarrel with try harder because I think it's a matter of how you define try. And we've had this conversation this whole offseason for the Cubs in the start because intensity and focus and attention to detail and really rev it up and care about every game. And it, it is counterintuitive, like you say, on the basics of it. But there are ways to try harder. There are ways to focus your attention and, and you know, drink less. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know what yes. I mean? Okay. That, like th- uh, that is that a yes. version is that a version of trying harder? No Less fast food and beer on the plane. Is that trying harder? Yes. Yes, Matt. <laughs> yes it is. That's exactly right. <laughs> All right, he's Chris Ranji and we did the White Sox part early. Uh, and we might do more I mean, of it. We could do more. We don't know what we're going to do. I do know I want to talk with you about the Cardinals cuz you have to educate me on a couple of things regarding them including Dexter Fowler cuz that's been a really weird dynamic. Dynamic yep. to follow along with from the Cubs fan perspective. Um, and then what it's like to see Paul Goldschmidt and watch that every day, even with the success not quite there where it is. Um, we're going to talk to Omar Vizquel this hour. Who would have thought, Chris Ranji, Omar. that he, this point in 2019, you and me doing a show on a Sunday and talking to Cleveland Indians legend Omar Vizquel, who's actually a manager in the White Sox system at AA Birmingham. Actually, two months ago, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> you felt it. Yeah. Why didn't you tell me? Well, I think you told me. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's a good point. <laughs> it's 670 The Score. It's Hit and Run. He's Chris Ranji and is my guest host, and I'm Matt Spiegel. Keep it right here. We, uh, uh, I believe, are working to reestablish connection with Ed Farmer and Darren Jackson back in Vancouver, and we will have them uh, later on in this pregame. Vancouver. What did I say Vancouver for? Um, uh, in Boston. <laughs> wasn't even close. That wasn't even close. <laughs> Vancouver. <laughs> was it hockey season? Hell, I don't know. What was that about? They're like not even close. <laughs> no, they're they're on. In fact, they're on opposite coasts. Do you remember when I said Pablo Ozuna was going to play left base? <laughs> I do not. Oh, I yeah, it, not. Was, it was uh, Sox. I remember it. See, that's the stuff. Sox Cubs. Uh huh. Yeah, Sox Cubs at Wrigley, and I and I didn't even know I said it, and then it just kept being brought back over uh-huh. and over again. I was like, I, "What the hell, Ron? <laughs> what the hell's the matter with you?" See, see that that's Idiot. gold. That's gold to me when our sports-addled brains just kind of take us in in chaotic and, and incorrect places, and then you can laugh at yourself. I mean, I saw George Hoffman on the field the other day, and when I see George Hoffman, I will forever think of when he was doing updates for and McNeil and Boers was the show. And he was previewing the White Sox game. White Sox in Texas tonight. Wilson Alvarez is on the pill. <laughs> so Nothing. not not take the pill, the, which is an obscure one, but a baseball yes. metaphor. Or on the hill. Yeah. Nope, he's on the pill. He's trying yeah. not to get pregnant. Do not, get, do not be impregnant. <laughs> Would that be maybe the most amazing baseball occurrence ever is if you got pregnant on the mound? Like somehow you're just... Well, 
So you won't believe what happened to Wilson Alvarez today. Did he get blown up? No, nope. no. He's having a baby. The angel, or the, the Rangers, just they 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 hit him so hard. He got yeah, pregnant. pregnant. <laughs> you pregnant? Really? Uh, right. I'd rather uh, I'd rather give up ten runs than get pregnant. Well, hey, White Sox did that last night. George is best, and it is a it's a Hall of Fame, and it may be the best. Of all time on this station ever mm-hmm. is the is the Chip Carey when, when Skip died right? Yeah, was it Skip? Uh, who's Harry? His yeah. grandson is Chip, who's also that that one is just I, I it's, don't, it's, uh, it's brilliant. Is that it's findable? Awesome. Eli is is, is Skip, uh, Skip Carey, whose pappy was the legendary Harry and whose son is Skip, died in his sleep last night. Make that his son Chip. Oh God, George, I miss him. <laughs> Wait a minute, oh, I miss him. Ah. Oh. So 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 who See, died? That? A... Wait, play it again. Who died? How many carries are involved here? Skip per, uh, Skip Carey, whose pappy was the legendary Harry, and whose son is Skip, died in his sleep last night. Make that his son Chip. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. I understand. My I, God, I, is it now, wonderful? Now I get oh. what he meant. Oh, I totally get what he meant. I'm still confused. All right, so so last year, so Chris Ranji is our guest co-host for Hit and Run uh, this week, and enjoying it, surprisingly. Um, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, I enjoy it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, so last year, Dexter Fowler was seemingly loathed by Cardinals fans who were convinced that he was jaking it. Right, that he like wasn't. There was a level of of non effort, or kind of was it lollygagging, or was there, it trying not to be, uh, not not busting his hump to get healthy again? Because it didn't make any sense from an intellectual perspective, having watched the Cubs portion of his career. There was a. It was really evident. You know how it is with with fans and uh, players. They see you do one thing. Yep. One thing, whether it's you don't run hard ninety to first. And they see it happen once, and then forever you're just, uh, you know, you're lazy or you're loafing, right? Mm-hmm. It, it Dexter can have an appearance when he's in right field of kind of jogging after a ball that's in the corner. Sure. That's really what it comes down to. That sounds like Alfonso Soriano yeah. for a so decade. It, so it that's it. And I, I think that it isn't about not trying to get back because – most people, I'm pretty sure, concede that he did work very hard to get healthy, and there's only so much you can do. You know, your body, if it's if it's giving out on you, it's giving out on you. Mm-hmm. So there's only so much you can do to get back on the field. Really, I think it's about chasing after balls in the outfield. He just he looks sometimes like he's not running hard after it while guys are rounding the bases, and I think that's the bottom line. Then, in addition to it, his foot hurts. He's got other health stuff going on, and then he is not hitting. Striking out a ton, he doesn't look good at the plate, mm-hmm. and th- that's that's really all it takes. He did have one good season, his first season, so 2017, when the Cardinals signed him, I think he had a really good year. His, his OPS was, I think, 830 or 850. Mm-hmm. I don't know off the top of my head, but I it was somewhere look. in that range. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had a productive year. Following year, injury problems. Didn't produce at the plate, and that's uh, that's an easy way to get disliked. All right, um, and then and then Paul Goldschmidt. How? What are you seeing from Paul Goldschmidt? What is that team kind of getting from him and feeling as they've gotten off to this hot start? Because he hasn't been terrific necessarily at the one game with the three homers, but it's kind of undeniable when you see him in your own lineup. Like, oh my God, we got that guy. There's a feeling of that. Well, there there is still a. Um, I think, and again, as 
fans, I think we kind of project onto players what we think they're feeling. And I, my feeling, my projection onto pitchers is when you're, when you're on the mound and you see Paul Goldschmidt come up as mm-hmm. a pitcher, you're, oh, God, this is Paul Goldschmidt. I better be careful. Right. Okay. Even if he's not having a great year. The thing about him is he's such a good hitter that not a great year is an 800 OPS for him. And that's where he is right now. He's, a, he's right at 800. I think he's hitting 244 at the moment. That's not, a, that's not typical Paul Goldschmidt. And he had a little bit of struggle last year with Arizona in the initial part of the year. So I think he's going to get better. Mm-hmm. But just having him in the middle of the order does make a big difference. Um, he is, he, from all accounts, he's exactly the kind of teammate you would want to have. Okay, and that's that's from anybody who's close to him, deals with him, or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't dispute it. I just assume that's true. Um, and I've never heard anything different. When he came over, I got a text message from uh, Pat O'Connell. Do you remember Pat used to be the media relations guy with the White Sox, and now he's with Arizona? Oh, okay, yeah. And he texted me as soon as that news hit, and he said, he said, you're going to love this dude. He's, he's great. He's, he's just an awesome teammate. And everything that's happened afterwards seems to be true. All right. Um, but, 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 you know, I, I think he will, will start to hit. A little bit better, and again, a guy with an 800 OPS is above average. But um, for him, it's not typical. He's usually better than that. We could take calls, you know, at three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven. We can take uh, take texts or sexts at six seventy eleven. I prefer the sex. A, a lot of people sexting in that they would really like to hear George Offman talking about Johnny Red Kerr. You remember this one? Yes. Is it the wake all the children of Johnny Red Kerr who will be buried on Thursday? You're burying all his kids? All of them. Do they know? <laughs> Among yesterday's attendees at the wake, all the children of Johnny Red Kerr who will be buried on Thursday. Alive or dead. <laughs> not interested in whether they're living or not. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's time to time to bury them all. Man, our dad died and we're getting buried? Yeah. This is an awful day. All right, so so how seriously did did you uh, wacky St. Louis radio guys take the um, St. Louis is boring stuff from Chris Bryant and the the the, the rejoinders from Yadier Molina and Brebbia and those guys? It, at least on our show, we uh, we kind of liked the whole thing. I mean, I it was awesome, and I guess it's been uh, sort of a anticlimactic because nothing's really happened in this series, yeah. but but I, I, we all just remember talking about, oh, that first series against the Cubs is yeah. going to be fun. And, and it hasn't really, there haven't been any fireworks. I don't know, maybe I, something does happen, but we thought the first time Chris Bryant comes up and tries to tap uh, Molina on the shin guard, something's going to happen and nothing's happened. Nothing's so, happened, yeah. I know. I saw Dempster the other day because it was Dempster doing off the mound on the Friday night and he elicited those comments from Brian. And I said, Dempster, you got to own it, man. Anything yeah. that happens in this series, it's your fault. Yeah. The Dempster effect. And he's laughing, he's going to own it, but there's there's been nothing. No. Uh, it, maybe maybe too much time passed, I don't know. Or, 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 but then again, you know how baseball players are where they remember everything? Supposed to hold on to stuff like that. Yeah, guys are getting hit for at-bats when they pimped something two years ago. So right. you would think something would have happened well you know remember that yadi and javi baez love each other from world baseball yeah, classic yeah, puerto rican team days. which one of the great moments was the was the uh the caught stealing at second and the tag from javi and he didn't even look at the ball yes what a, what an awesome moment from both guys that whole run for team puerto rico made me appreciate yadi emelina yadi emelina to a point that it, it, there, there is no annoyance for me there is no like 
Cardinal-esque annoyance that Molina kind of embodies to a lot of Cub fans and a lot of people up yeah. here. I just, I just think the world of Molina, obviously as a player, as he was for all those years, as a hitter, as he still can be in the clutch right yep. now, especially, and seemingly as a teammate and, and as a leader, my respect for him is off the charts. The dude cares hard, right? which I think, and he works extremely hard off the field. There was a story, and I don't remember who it was, but it was a rookie from a couple of years ago, and they must have, I, I don't know, they, they were... Um, Damn it! Was it? Car- it might have been Carson Kelly. I don't. One of their catching prospects at the time. Okay, Kelly and, is now on Arizona, part of the Goldschmidt yeah. deal. And they did a, you know, the the drill where you're trying to block balls in the dirt, and they must have taken like a thousand of them or something. It was a lot. And then uh, they got done, so they're working on this forever and ever. And then and then Molina says something like, "All right, let's go run now." And he's like, "Run? Are you out of your mind?" But the, because he, Yadier Molina understands he's not getting any younger. And he feels like he has to do everything he possibly can to mm-hmm. stay on the field. And he wants to be on the field a lot. Which, which brings me to an, an interesting uh, facet of the relationship with players and Mike Matheny. If you want to get back into that a little bit later. I, I do. At the top of the hour, I want to get back into that. Because I but, wonder about the connection from the La Russa era with the chip on its shoulder to now. How much of it is gone? I yes. want to talk about that. Yeah, but but he is a, he's a guy who he wants to stay out there. So he works incredibly hard. And he's caught more innings than anybody in the National League in the last couple of years. Interesting. He's Chris Ranji from uh, 101... What is it? Uh, 101 uh, ESPN, I think. Yeah. 101 ESPN in St. Louis, uh, the afternoon show. You and two other guys, and you have a wacky name for yourselves. Uh, right? Fast Lane. That's it. I had it right? up here, and then I put it away, and then I'm an idiot. Yeah, the, the Fast Lane. Oh, yeah. It's Chris Ranji doing afternoons. And say, I, was, I was so happy for you when you got it. I'm still happy for you. You enjoying yourself? Well, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, everything's good down good. there, man. Good. Everything's good. So, I, I miss Chicago. I, I I love you people. Yeah. But uh and these people love you and they're saying so via I text. swear to God if they don't, I'm going to each one of their houses. <laughs> Track them down. Yeah, I'll find you. It is uh six seventy the score. We're gonna talk to Omar Vizquel, who's the manager of the double A Birmingham Barons. You know who just got there? Luis Robert. Let's talk about Luis Robert, a couple other White Sox prospects, and uh whatever else we feel like talking about with Omar Vizquel. I got a co host for this interview. I'm looking forward to it. Bottom of the hour brought to you by Northwestern Football. Join Coach Fitz and the Big Ten West Division and Holiday Bowl champions at Ryan Field this fall when they host Ohio State, Iowa, Michigan State, and more. Season tickets on sale now at NUSports.com. We'll be right back on six seventy the score. Swings away. Ray Durham to second for one. And over to third base, turning the corner, and he's picked it off. What a play by Omar Vizquel, and that is a double play to end the inning. You know, I'm glad, Eli Hershkovich, you played a defensive highlight for Omar Vizquel because even though the man had 2,800-some hits... One of only 47 major leaguers to ever reach that plateau. I will always think of defense when I think of Omar Vizquel. It is Hit and Run, the score's venerable baseball show on a Sunday morning. And joining us right now on the Alpimonte Ford hotline, Alpimonte Ford, 500 new and used vehicles to choose from. It is Omar Vizquel, the longtime major leaguer, currently the manager of the AA Birmingham Barons in the Chicago White Sox farm system. Omar, you're on with me, Matt Spiegel, and my partner today is Chris Ranji. Thank you for the time. How are you doing this morning? Hello, guys. How are you doing? We Everything are- good over here? We have uh, cloudy weather, but, uh, you know, expecting to play the game. 
Uh, good. Well, I'm glad you'll be playing. And you've had Luis Robert now for just, I think, four games and 15 at-bats. But you know Luis because you had Luis Robert last year in Winston-Salem. What are, what, what are your thoughts on this version that you've seen just for four games here over his first week? Well, uh, I see a Luis Robert that is uh, really improving his swing. I think that's what everybody was worried about, uh, the way that he was swinging the bat. Remember that he had that injury with his finger, with his thumb. He couldn't really get the bat around the fastballs, and uh, you know he was getting jammed a lot. But now uh, he's, uh, he's he's well. He's, he's feeling his hand is strong, and his swing is really good. He's hitting the ball hard all over the field, and uh, you know he's he's being more patient at the plate. Uh, something that I didn't see last year, and uh, that gives me a sign that he's uh, getting ready to uh, evolve as a complete baseball player now. There were a lot of teams, a lot of organizations that a little over a year ago really wanted him. He ends up with the White Sox. Is is he one of those players that when you see him, because I do think sometimes that happens, you see a talent and you just know, like that guy's going to be very good. Is he one of those to you? Yeah, there is no doubt. I'm sure I didn't see him when uh, a lot of people was trying to sign him, but uh, there is no doubt that when you see these guys taking batting practice, uh, uh, shagging balls in the outfield, throwing to the bases. He he's one of those mm-hmm. that that shows you the fight tools right away. You don't have to really uh, expect this guy uh, to do it like in four or five years down the road. He's just got the talent. He just got to put him out there, let him play, and let it evolve. And I think he's going to be one of the best center fielders in the game someday. Oh, see, that that's the stuff, Omar. And you can tell, even just from the little bit that we've been able to tell, it's one of those beautiful five-tool complete athletes. And I guess his teammates have noticed it, too. There was a moment in the spring where uh, Robert was playing, and as he was running off the field, Yoan Moncada and Jose Abreu and other guys, they called him La Pantera for the Panther, uh, just because they liked the way that he ran and how fluid he was as an athlete. Are you hip to that as his nickname? Does anybody use that for him down there? Yeah, I mean, uh, they, they call him like that everywhere now. Uh, <laughs> I think that's his nickname. And and you can tell right away. I mean, this guy get on base, and uh, you know he just put a lot of pressure on the defense because his speed. Uh, he hit a, a little ground ball to third yesterday, and he beat it out. So you know he's he's the kind of a, a player that can make an impact in so many ways and help your ball team to win ball game. And one of the most important things that people don't realize, his English is getting better too. You know he got here uh, with a little bit of English, and now he understands a lot of things. He's able to understand the instructions of a lot of people, and now uh, you know he's gonna get better now. You know, I'm so glad you brought that up, Omar, because, you know, a lot of these guys, as they come up, some learn, some don't. Eloy Jimenez's English is excellent. Um, And I remember Pedro Martinez years ago saying that was one of the things that benefited him the most is as early as possible in his career. He he eliminated the language barrier. So uh, that is that is that is that part of what you stress uh, at every step in the organization? Winston Salem last year and Birmingham this year? Yeah, that is huge. Uh, that is huge for these guys because uh, you you used to uh, come from a custom that you never speak English, obviously, and sometimes you get overwhelmed with all the instruction of so many coaches that you got here. And now they're throwing at you a lot of numbers that people don't really understand sometimes. So it's up to us, the coaches, and to the people that is trying to develop these players to make them understand all these things, and the language is one of them. Uh, I'm so glad that the White Sox got in place uh, a great program where all the Latino players come and they can enjoy that. 
and get better on their English. And I think that's that's really going to be a benefit for everyone here. As a double-A manager, Omar, what is your most important job in helping develop a player? Just keep talking to them and communicating a lot of these things. Every time that they made a mistake, they have to let them know. We have to let them know what's going on and how is the way that we want them to do it. Uh, a lot of people are stubborn and it takes uh, you know, a few days and then a few times. It's like it's like going to school, you know. You 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 tell a third grader that uh, two plus two is four, and, and and it take you know a little bit of time for them to do it that to to do it. And it's the same in baseball, you know. We want them to do some certain things that uh, they, they're supposed to do, and uh, sometimes they forget because they got caught up in other things. And it's just part of the process. But you gotta be constantly telling things so they understand it. Omar Vizquel is the manager of the AA Birmingham Barons, and he's on 670, the score right now. You know, one of the most important things that can happen in a rebuild is that as prospects move their way through the system, the communication between managers and front office guys and eventually to the players, the prospects themselves, it needs to be so uniform. And, and I'm wondering if, if there are specific things that you've been told to work on with Luis and how high up in the organization those things, those messages come from to you? Well, yeah, everybody's different. You know, sometimes you got to talk a little bit more about defense with, with some guys. Some other ones are more in hitting, but always in between the program that we develop. Uh, you know, uh, we trying to teach the same way to uh, uh, everybody, but obviously some guys got more talented than others, and uh, sometimes you got to tell them different things. But, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's uniform. Uh, we have a, a plan uh, uh, in spring training for everyone, the way that we approach the game, the way that they have to play the game, and that's going to be the same for everybody. So specifically, uh, what are you going to be focused on and what is Luis going to be focused on? Being more patient, like you said, at the plate? Yeah, uh, that's something that, uh, like I said before in the beginning of the interview, that's something that I see that he's doing better now. He's being more patient. He doesn't go out there to swing on every pitch that he sees. And now you can tell that he's laying off a lot of uh, uh, fastballs away or fastballs out of the strike zone. It's lighter that don't have to be hit. You know, he's he's still uh, uh, learning that process, but you can tell now that he he understands that. He knows the lead of guy or hitting in the top of the lineup. He doesn't have to go out there and swing on every pitch. Also, the way that he still bases, he, he has to learn uh, a particular pitches with pick one pitch where he feels comfortable that he has to go. He doesn't have to go right away when he get on. Hmm. Obviously, there are different things you can learn as you progress through the, the lower levels of the minor leagues until you get into big league baseball. But what generally does a player, because we, we know that, that, uh, that he is ultimately going to make his way to the big leagues. I would be shocked if that does not happen. What does he need to know, and what generally do players have to have a handle on before they make it to the big leagues? Well, I think for me, uh, it's very important that when you get to the big league, you are in, in completely confidence in your game. You have to believe that you can get on base at any time. You have to believe that the mental mistake, you got to minimize the mental mistake because in the big league, when you make a mistake like that, you know, you always end up paying for it. And you don't want to uh, uh, throw a ball over the cutoff man when you don't have to. You have to know in what situation you really have to throw the ball home or what to do with the ball when it's hit to you. That's in the defensive part. Now, the offensive part, everybody got a job to do. 
uh, when you're a lead-off guy, you're supposed to take pitches, you're supposed to get on base, you're supposed to walk, uh, uh, get a walk when you really need to. And this is part of the game. This is something that you learn in the minor leagues and something that you have to be telling these guys all the time. So minimize the mental mistakes and believe in yourself. So what's Omar Vizquel, the manager, like? How much, how much Ozzie Guillen is there in, in Omar Vizquel in terms of the managing <laughs> style, Omar? I think the only thing is there is the number. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, huh? <laughs> yeah, Ozzy, Ozzy and I got different ways to do things. Uh, I'm really glad that I got to be with Ozzy those two years that I played with the White Sox. You know, I learned a lot from him. But obviously, everybody got different personalities and different ways to do things. Uh, you know, now baseball is changed. There is different ways to to, to uh, talk to the guys and to say things. So, you know, Ozzy was one of the kind, man. He's awesome. I love him to death. And, um, you know, uh, but everybody's different. Do you have quicker hands than all of the 20-year-old players you have on your team still? <laughs> I still think that I can, I can play with them. And, uh, you know, sometimes we take ground balls together. And that is something that I don't try to teach much because it gets you out of the game. But, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that I really like uh, to talk to my infielders about is try to make the routine play, try to get a rhythm where you feel a baseball. And that is something that we're trying to do here in AA. How much of what you were able to do as a defensive player was instinct and ability as opposed to a lot of work that you put into it? It's a combination. I, I can't really put a number on it because uh, uh, when you have the game in your mind and you anticipate to play, sometimes the plays uh, come to you naturally. Uh, but for these kids, they, they're thinking uh, a, a lot of things at once. They have to get their feet into position that you have to make a good throw. So, you know, it, it, that's the process. That's the learning process that we're talking about. And once you got your rhythm and you, you do everything naturally, then you can make a, a constant uh, constantly plays like that. So, Omar, last year when you were managing at Winston-Salem, you had um, Adolfo, you had Blake Rutherford, you had Basabe before he got hurt, uh, Luis Robert, and now you've got Robert back. It's a, it's, it's a very deep crop of outfield guys. Other than Robert and uh, Nick Madrigal, you, you had um, for, a, for a while last year, 26 games of Nick Madrigal. Um, uh, of, of those guys that I mentioned, who do you think has the best major league future? Uh, well, uh, the first year, last year, uh, I had the pleasure to work with almost everybody, all the, the top guys from the organization. On the first half, we have Basabi, Rutherford, we have a Booker, we have uh, uh, Luis Robert. And then in the second half, they, they changed the whole team. They brought a whole new uh, set of players for the second half. And I was really impressed with everybody that went by. You know, uh, they're young and uh, they, they have a lot to learn still. But there is a lot of players that can open your eyes when, when you take a look at the game. So Dolfo is a guy that has a lot of power. He can hit for power and average. Uh, Basabe is a guy that can do it all. He can bomb, he can run, he can steal. He can. He's a great outfielder. And obviously, Roberts is the one that really sticks up to your mind. Madriga has some quick hands, and he's really his IQ is really high. He can tell you about the game like he talks, like like he played for 20 years. Uh, Rutherford is the guy that can put the bat on the ball, and all these guys right now are going into a completely different uh, adjustment period because in Double A there are pitchers that. They know how to pitch. They're not going to give you a fastball when you're behind on the count. They know how to how to uh, hit the corners. 
And, you know, they, they haven't been exposed to that yet. So they're learning and, they're, uh, and their development like that. And, and, you know, right now they're having a hard time trying to adjust to this thing, but it's part of the game. They, they know that they, can, they, they have to do better. They have to be more patient and they have to know the strike zone. And that's something that they're going through right now. Aside from the guys you've mentioned, is there anybody that we're not paying attention to that we should be? I think there is a guy that really uh, uh, opened my eyes. Is what Booker, Joe Booker, is an outfielder that sometimes uh, he get overlooked because so many great talent that we have in the outfielder. But this guy has been pretty good. He was he played great for me in Winston Salem. Then he got called out to Double A. He played really good too, and now he's in Triple A. You know, he, these guys can steal bases. He, he he can hit a little bit. He's a good outfielder and. You know, he can also uh, be in the, in the big leagues pretty soon. There he is, 22nd round pick in 2016 by the White Sox, Joel Booker of the Charlotte Knights. Now we'll be paying attention more to him. Omar, thanks for the time, man. This was a pleasure. We'll do it again sometime. Thank you, guys. Okay, good uh, luck to you. All right, thank you. You too. That's Omar Vizquel, one of the greatest defensive shortstops dude, of all time, man. Dude, turning a double play. Oh. Alomar Vizquel. Come on. As good as it gets. Come on. Just the, the smoothness, the, the efficiency of, of, of movement. You, you, see the, you see the video? I, I don't, it, it's a social media video. I think he tweeted it out or, or Instagram or something, and he's showing kids like the quick hands he's still got. and how to, I, don't, I don't even know what he was doing, but he had somebody throw him a ball, and in one motion he takes his right hand under his glove and the ball's in his hand as it's being thrown to him. I can't describe it. You have to go watch it. And it's everybody's just clapping for him because it's incredible what he can do. The bottom of the hour was brought to you by GetOnBoardIL.org. Tired of slow zones and delays on your commute on the bus or train? Make your voice heard at GetOnBoardIL.org. Tell your statewide elected officials to invest in transit. Better funding means better rides. It is 670 The Score. It is hit and run. Chris Rogers is going to hang around. Let's talk some Cardinals and Cubs, the series so far over at Wrigley, next on Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.